Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's session. As we all know, today is Valentine's Day, and we are going to be talking about our feelings, but in a very scientific way. We're going to be talking about something called emotional granularity. If you've never heard about it, don't be surprised. Thanks to evolutions in science and technology, there's so much about the brain, our emotions, and our well-being that is just starting to come to light in recent years, many of it still in development. For those of you who don't know me, just a quick introduction. I was a senior creative executive for over 20 years, and for 10 of those years, I led all the advertising, media, and digital efforts for Ray-Ban. After a burnout episode in 2015, which put me in the hospital with vision loss, I went back to school to study the relationship between stress, the body, and the mind. And as a result, I started my company, Moodily. Moodily uses the latest psychology and neuroscience research around mood, stress, and well-being to help organizations turn employees' moods into a competitive advantage. Through a range of solutions, including keynote speaking, management training, and a proprietary mood managing app, we teach people the ins and outs of mood management to help them reduce stress and improve both their personal well-being and professional performance. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is mood management? It's the ability to recognize how you're feeling and be able to intervene in real time to either diffuse a bad mood improve your mood, or get yourself psyched up for important events. Like a muscle, the more you do it, the better you can get at it. Simply by learning this skill, you can improve your mental and physical well-being, develop your resilience, increase your emotional intelligence, improve your performance at work, and reduce stress. Now, it may sound too good to be true, but the scientific truth is that mood influences everything that happens in your day. It shapes the way we perceive and interact with the world. It affects how we think, how we feel, how we interact, how many mistakes we make, and how we feel about ourselves. And you don't have to take my word for it. If you head over to Google Scholar, you can find literally millions of articles discussing the impact of mood on our daily lives. I've just taken a small sample here, and you can see the wealth of information that's available on the topic. Mood is well studied in the academic community, but not so much in the professional world. And my mission is to be a bridge to bring this universe of vital knowledge to the people who need it most. So one of the key skills in mood management is something we call emotional granularity. We tend to use rather generic language to describe our feelings, and we stick with a small selection of the emotion language available to us. We tend to use macro categories like being happy, being angry, or being sad. But the truth is we have a very rich range of language to describe our unique feelings. This is known as the emotion wheel, and it's a very simple breakdown to the emotions we have and what they're called. How to classify emotions has been a subject of much discussion, research, and evolution over the years, and we'll look at this in just a moment. But just as we can have hundreds of different expressions of chocolate, we also have a variety of emotions that fall under the bigger mad, sad, glad categories. So instead of simply describing ourselves as feeling bad or mad, there's a range of words we can use to describe more specifically what it is that we're feeling. And why is this important, you might ask? 
Well, because being able to distinguish one shade of emotion from the other can actually shift how our body responds. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have to give a big speech in public or you have an important meeting with your client. You've been preparing for days and you have those nervous butterflies in your stomach. You're starting to worry because you feel anxious. Maybe you start to imagine all the things that could go wrong and what the consequences might be. You tell your friends and family that you're feeling anxious about your big speech. Now, recent research done by neuroscientist Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett from Northeastern University has found that despite what has historically been accepted by the scientific community, our emotions aren't fixed. They're constructed. And all of these elements that you see on the screen here, our train of thought, our physical sensations, our memories and past experiences, as well as what's currently happening to us, are all in a mutual influential in, uh, relationship, meaning that they can all affect each other, which means that every emotion has a mental, physical, historical, and contextual element to it. So if we find ourselves in the situational context of having to give a speech, our brain locates a similar past memory, which may cause a physical sensation to arise that we assume is anxiety, and that's how we label it. Now, whenever we feel something, there is a response in the body. If we feel happy, our bodies respond with one set of physiological events. If we feel sad, our body responds with a different set of physiological events. When we identify and label our feeling as anxiety, our brain is going to signal an anxious physiological response. Now, since it's a stress-based response, it will impact almost every system in the body. And in the case of anxiety, a series of unwanted things happen. Our ability to think properly is impaired. Our memory is impaired. Our attention is primarily pointed towards the negative because we're trying to protect ourselves from what's causing the anxiety. And this is one of the reasons that people can choke under pressure despite months or even years of preparation. See, our brain spends most of its day predicting the future based on the past experience. It does this to save cognitive load. So despite what we may think, our brain's primary function is to keep us alive. In order to be constantly vigilant and on the lookout for potential threats, it automates our behaviors so that we don't have to spend every single day relearning how to live in the world around us. So when we're in any kind of situation, the brain is constantly checking its archive for information that will help us quickly navigate it and move on. So when we feel something that feels familiar, our brain identifies it according to previous experiences in our archive. We do this with everything, how we get to work, things we like, things we don't like, how we see people and how we process situations around us. They're called heuristics and they're brain shortcuts so that the brain can focus on keeping us alive. So with our emotions, if we get a feeling that feels like something from the past, we don't stop to investigate the feeling in the moment. We default to a pre-experienced emotion label, whether it's how we're actually feeling or not. So when we tell ourselves we're nervous or anxious, we're actually doing ourselves a disservice because simply by, labing, by labeling it as anxiety, we cause an anxious reaction. Now, if we were to actively tune into what we were feeling and realize that maybe it's not anxiety, but actually excitement, and we labeled it as excitement, something incredible happens. 
Our body changes how it responds. It doesn't enact a stress response, but an excitation response. This means that we get the positive benefits of what is commonly known as good stress without the negative physiological responses that put our body at risk for more serious health issues. And it was confirmed in this 2013 study where researchers found that simply by reframing the emotion that was being experienced, the participants were able to alter their physiological responses. By rethinking their reaction from simply anxiety to a more nuanced and potentially positive form of being excited, the negative physiological responses were reduced. And this is where we start to see the power of emotional granularity emerge. Now here's a list of some other evidence-backed benefits of having a more precise emotional vocabulary. It's been seen in several studies that people who already possess the ability to be highly nuanced in their emotional differentiation show increased coping skills, which has a positive domino effect on their physical well-being. It's widely noted in science that the less time we spend angry and anxious, the healthier we are. And we also know that people with increased emotional intelligence just do better at work. They earn more, they're more successful, and they're consistently amongst the top performers and leaders in many organizations. And emotional granularity isn't just for adults, quite the opposite. It's actually highly advised to teach your children as early as possible what emotions there are, what situations they can be related to, and how to respond to make sure that they arrive to young adulthood with a full emotional vocabulary. There's research that shows that young children are very good at separating between distinct emotions. They know when they're angry, when they're sad or happy. And there's a dip in emotional differentiation in adolescence, which scientists believe is attributed to the onset of mixed emotions or more complex feelings, something we adults know plenty about. At this age, they're experiencing these feelings for the first time and don't have the language to express what's happening. It's then shown that this child's ability picks up again after adolescence and then increases according to the individual's ability. So even teaching our kids at an early age that when Sally pushes us on the playground, we might be angry, but we may also feel hurt that she would do that or confused by our friend's behavior. And to that end, there's this really cool tool that you can find on the internet, free of charge for non-commercial use, that's terrific at home or in the classroom to help children and even adults understand what a certain feeling consists of and what types of situation can cause it. So let's look at some of the emotional vocabulary that we have available to us. There's been a lot of work done over the years on how to classify emotions. And the model that is most commonly used today in research is built on this drawing that you see here. It's constructed on the premise that every emotion has three components to it. One of pleasure, or the spectrum that runs from pleasant to unpleasant, arousal, the spectrum that goes from high energy to low energy, or dominance, spectrum that goes from powerful to weak. And scientists have landed here, where they can map a range of emotions on these three axes. And while this tool may look overwhelming, when we're looking or when we're learning emotional granularity, it's super useful in understanding what we're actually feeling because we can ask ourselves three questions. Do I feel more or less positive? Do I feel more or less energetic? And do I feel more or less empowered? 
And based on those responses, you can zero in on a single quadrant of, the, of emotions. And I won't go into too much depth here, but it's one of the things that we cover in my corporate management trainings and my private sessions for burnout prevention. And this is useful not only to understand how we're feeling, but also to know how to respond to others when they're demonstrating specific emotions. There are very different strategies to respond to someone who is screaming from frustration as opposed to someone who's embarrassed. But let's take a quick look at a couple of the quadrants so you can get a better idea. Let's start with the uppermost quadrant. And we see that this is where we have low pleasure, high arousal, and high dominance, which means that we're riled up in a negative way. We would probably default to calling this anger in most cases. But as you can see, there's a lot of different options that fall into here. Are we angry or are we impatient? Those can show up differently in the body and feeling impatience may not be enough to trigger a cortisol release, whereas anger will most likely do that. Are we enraged or are we envious? If we're enraged, we might have one path of calming ourselves down, whereas being envious gives us more information about ourselves. What are we envious of? Why? So these differentiations can actually provide us with a wealth of useful information, not only about how we're feeling, but also about what's really going on with us beyond just that moment. Let's look at one more. Okay, so this is still on the negative side, but here we have the polar opposite, where we have low energy and low dominance. This is a much more passive feeling due to the lack of energy. Let's say one morning we wake up and we sit at the edge of the bed and say, I don't know if I can do this. And we ask ourselves, am I tired or am I bored? Or do I feel dejected? The situation that I just described is one of the first clues of a nearing burnout. So understanding what's really going on in your body is fundamental. As this 2018 study shows us, each feeling shows up a little differently in the body. And sensations with physical causes can show up in the same way as emotional responses from outside events. You remember the emotion construction model at the beginning where there's multiple ways into the same feeling. And sometimes we can also attribute emotional feelings to physical symptoms. If we're sitting on the bed and we're tired first thing in the morning, it may not be from lack of sleep. There may be something far more complex going on. But sometimes our emotions can be also attributed to physical issues. For example, hangry is a bad mood brought on by a drop in blood sugar. We may think that we're mad when really we just need to eat. A sense of exhaustion or confusion can come on with even the mildest of, of dehydrations. If we're in tune with ourselves and our feelings, we're better equipped to be able to respond to our needs. Think about a doctor prescribing medicine. Each diagnosis requires a different response. It's the same with your feelings. Now, let me give you this tool that's more user-friendly than the last one to give you a head start on a fuller vocabulary of emotions. And you can screenshot this or look it up on Google. It's called the Emotion Wheel. Uh, and it's a great tool to understand what our options are under each macro category. And this is a terrific place to get started getting familiar with some of the language. And actually, scientists even encourage using words from other cultures if there's a feeling that you can't quite articulate in your native language. For example, the Portuguese word saudade, often used by Brazilians who are far from home, is a shade of homesickness that isn't quite captured by any other word that I've come across. 
Now, here's the great news. Emotional granularity is a very learnable skill. And the more you practice it, the better you get at. So how can we improve our emotional granularity? Well, one way is to randomly check in with yourself during the day. You can ask yourself, how's my energy? How's my sense of happiness? How empowered do I feel? What emotion would best describe right now? And if the answer is nothing and you feel neutral, then perhaps you could identify yourself as peaceful or calm or centered. These words all have a very positive effect on the body. Another way is when you are aware that you're feeling an emotion, first ask yourself, what are you responding to? Are you cold, thirsty, hungry, or physically uncomfortable? Has someone else done something to you? Or is this reminding you of something? Or are you responding to a situation in the future that doesn't exist yet? These questions can give us more information on what's actually going on. Then you can try and reconsider what it is that you're feeling and try to label it. Perhaps, ugh, I'm so mad, which will flip the switch on your stress response, is really, I'm frustrated because this traffic is moving so slowly and I'm concerned I'll be late, which makes me embarrassed in front of my boss. The second sentence has clear steps that can be dealt with or responded to, whereas the former, just being mad, leaves the brain not knowing what to do and feeling stuck. As an add-on to your daily check-in, you can also spend some time in the evening going further into depth in that emotion. What the situation was, the intensity of your feeling, what was making you feel that way. Spend more time investigating the feeling and how it felt. This process, not unlike mindfulness, trains your brain to start paying attention to this kind of information, helping you build emotional check-ins as a healthy habit. You can also use your imagination to try and visualize different situations that would provoke an emotion. How would I feel if I met a long lost friend on the street? How would I feel if I got that promotion I was looking for? How would I feel if I was on a beach right now? Because, because of the way the brain works, these can also be used as mood inductions where we can change our mood into something better, which will make you feel the emotion. And if it's positive, you'll get all the body benefits of that. And finally, notice how you use emotions in everyday language. Are there emotion words that you use all the time? I hate that. I can't stand when. I'm so nervous. This makes me anxious. All of these phrases create reactions in your body and can become habits of thinking, which can develop into negative mindsets over time. So you want to be mindful of the emotional language that you're infusing into your day uh, without being conscious of it. And finally, and this is really important, don't gaslight yourself. The point of reframing your emotions is to create a wider emotional range, not suppress valid emotions. If you are mad, there's no need to tell yourself you're not. That will lead to toxic positivity, where we develop an inability to metabolize things that we don't like. We want to create a state of total acceptance of the feeling, whatever it is, and then learn how to emotionally self-regulate if it's needed. And if you're interested in knowing more about the topic, here are three books that I highly recommend. How Emotions Are Made is from Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett that I've been quoting throughout this presentation and is actually quite a controversial book in the scientific community. Her research has led her to offer a contrasting view of the currently accepted viewpoint on emotions, as I mentioned before. Dr. Feldman Barrett is the leading expert and promoter of emotional granularity, so this is a great place to start. 
Second is James Gross's Handbook of Emotional Regulation. Dr. Gross is on staff at Stanford University, and this book is a bit more of a scientific textbook, but it is so rich in incredible information that it is just a wonderful tool. Uh, and finally, a little bit lighter book, though deeply researched as well, Dr. Tiffany Watt-Smith shares 150 different names of emotions that come from cultures around the world. She explains the situation that the word describes and how to use it. It's fantastic for uh, expanding your emotion vocabulary, and it's just fabulously interesting. Um, before I say goodbye, I'd like to give you a sneak peek at my next LinkedIn Live, which will be taking place exactly one month from today, where I'll be talking about something that I specialize in both personally and professionally, and that's toxic productivity or as I've dubbed it, the evil love child of workaholism and overachieving. We'll talk about what it is, what causes it, why it's so dangerous, and what you can do to detoxify. The article that I've written on toxic productivity on my website has been read by thousands of people organically um, from all over the world. So I hope you'll be able to join me to learn about this incredibly important topic, whether you're in the workplace or not. And for now, I want to say thank you for joining me. If you have any questions or comments or you'd like to know more about how I can help your organization uh, or you personally, please drop me a line at erica at moodily.com or reach out to me right here on LinkedIn and wishing you a very inspired and cheerful Valentine's Day. See you next time.